Hey podcast, it's Louis J and this is the podcast. You've been away for the week up north. I haven't seen you for a whole week. Uh, what was going on up there? Yeah, so Frank, I took advantage. I mean, I've got a cottage in the uh, in uh, in the North Country, um, Southern Ontario still. Um, but if I get an opportunity to be at the cottage, I take advantage of it. And what's been cool about this whole time with you know COVID is that you know the requirements and the demands that we normally would have on us uh, have turned into um, virtual appearances and meetings and and conferences and. There's no difference uh, in how you operate those from any place. And Cottage is a great place to do that. It allows me to refuel, to energize. It allows me to focus on um, building uh, the brands that I have and I operate. I mean, the good news is, is that I've got great teams here in the city to be able to operate the businesses that are that are uh, expected to have people in them every day. And you know, it's it's easier for me to to remove myself from them when you've got a great team, and even better for me to be able to concentrate on refueling and energizing in a place like the cottage. I mean, the air is different, and you know, it, it's it's not like I'm moving away from work and I'm not escaping. And because as an entrepreneur and an owner, you really never escape work uh, because we don't want to. I don't want to leave work. I want to just do it in a different environment, and I want to be most effective and and uh, have the best type of influence that I can. And in, in finding a place that makes me really happy is where I perform the best. So that's got to be the cottage for me. But I'm sure the cottage has a, a toll as well. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. If you're a cottage owner, you know there's always projects to be done there. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a, I mean, I think, I think a cottage owner it has a mindset of a, of a pioneer, an early settler, um, where if you've got a cottage like mine, which is old and rustic, 126 years old, there's things to do that, you know, the lists just grow and uh, you find yourself puttering. And I call it therapy, cottage therapy, because it doesn't ever really feel like work. It feels like an accomplishment. You've improved the way we enjoy the environment. Like, you know, a good example is um, building an outdoor shower. There's nothing like taking an outdoor shower. Um, it's really quite magical to be honest um add to it when you can have you know a good water pressure and then add to that as a puttering kind of project to figure out a way to get good pressure and hot water and then you're talking about magic there's nothing like it i mean so those therapy moments uh that that really some people you know cloak as work i i put it as you know, um, the benefit of having a cottage. I find myself constantly doing something and that's what I like. And when you can try to fit that into a day of work, um, a day of puttering, and then when you get a chance to entertain and host, that's like, it's magic to me. It really is special. But the lists, I'm sure the lists have changed considerably with COVID time now. I mean, people have, uh, have taken this time being home for such a long stretch, learning new skills, new things, um, you know, training themselves on probably being better at Excel, right. uh, taking these online courses. But what about your projects? Have they changed uh, at the cottage in terms of the type of list that you normally have versus the COVID list? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of lists. And um, some people actually 
criticize list making saying that it's not productive. In fact, it's the only way that I know how to operate. It might not be the best way, but for me it works because um, there's a sense of accomplishment when you get to check those boxes. And so for me, um, whether it was the cottage or it was home, the lists always have a breakdown. It includes, you know, what I need to do for this company um, that I operate or this client's brand or personally what we need to accomplish. And so I'd always break it down to like these categories. And what I recognized was right off the bat, you know, um, in the early stages of COVID, I was kind of like in this haze, this fuzzy moment where I couldn't really decide what I needed to concentrate on because it didn't seem like anything was urgent. And we didn't know if this was a a fast moving train or if it was a slow riding bus and, you know, was this going to be over in two weeks and then we'd have to go back to normal. Maybe we should just chill out for a little bit and, you know, not worry about the lists. And, you know, and then I found myself kind of just, you know, walking around realizing that I'm not really responsible for anything right now. And, that I think kickstarted a way of being for me. And that was, you better make a list. (laughs) So the list came out and I actually learned quite quickly what it was like to take on a five minute project. And some of those five minute projects uh, that I accomplished over the early days of COVID were projects that were being ignored for, you know, I can tell you one, it was ignored for 15 years. We talked about how incredibly easy it was to repair a doorknob. Um, I have a custom wardrobe that had I had built by a friend a long time ago in my bedroom, and uh, I I you know accidentally pulled the doorknob off and you know worked around it for I don't know how long, and it would have been nothing for me. I'm a fairly handy guy, you know. Replacing a doorknob really isn't a challenge at any stretch, but um, I I'm, worked, sh- I'm sure you looked at that thing every time you went up there and like, yeah, I'll get to it every time. Yeah, I'll get to I it. even made I even made band aid solutions that took longer <laughs> than it would be to replace the doorknob, and I you know it, that's the funny part of all this is that I I learned what a five minute project really takes, right? And it's five minutes, you know, in, that didn't even take five minutes to replace, but I went 15 years without a doorknob. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think we keep walking by it, looking at it, acknowledging, going, I'm going to get to that? Yeah, because I know why. Uh, For me anyway, it was because the other items on the list were far more important. I could live without a doorknob, but I couldn't live without getting the the financials to the client. Right. I I could live without uh, the doorknob, but I couldn't live without the brand document. Or I, I needed to take care of the lawn because people were going to see the lawn. Nobody's going to see the doorknob. Who cares? It's just me, you know, and me trying to tape stuff around it. It's just never worked. But I think that everything else uh, somehow ranks in priority. And these little five minute jobs just keep on getting pushed down. And for me, it was like a a wake up, like, Hey man, like um, you can accomplish a lot And I think what happened was uh, in trying to figure out what I should be doing, that list grew. And one day uh, I put a pair of AirPods in Mm -hmm. and I listened to like my first podcast. I really, I I don't spend time or I I didn't spend time listening to people. And you were too busy. I was too busy. You know, I I didn't allow anything really um, uh, to filter in. From, uh, hey, listen to what this guy has to say. It's really quite entertaining. And maybe there's education in there too. And 
you know, there's a little bit of both, and that's kind of cool. Why don't you just put these in and go do something? So I put a pair of AirPods in and painted a cabinet, and the cabinet was the beginning. That was like that cabinet. I don't even know when the last time we went into that cabinet was, but there was stuff in there that, you know, needed to get out. And uh, after that was a, that was complete, I felt accomplished. I'd learned something along the way. I was learning nonstop during right. the early days of COVID. I was, you know learning how to cook and, and online courses and, and master classes were coming up at me like nonstop. So I just stick in the AirPods and I'd listen and I'd accomplish another task. And those five minute tasks were all gone. The list was getting longer um, despite checking off a lot of boxes, but these were projects now that were making a major change in the way we enjoyed AR house, how the Businesses changed. Um, some some ideas were coming up along the way that had me kind of concentrate on important pieces that I would push aside because I just didn't have time, you know. And I, I think that uh, that was a kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, it allowed me to really to uh, take on, I think, equally uh, as much work as I had before, but now work that was really kind of moving the way we uh the way we lived when i called you a few times you were saying you know we're getting rid of this we're it was sounding like there was a big purge going on oh my god i mean i'm i'm a i i people have joked about it um first of all i'm an avid uh garage sale guy i love <laughs> i love people's shit i just can't get enough of it I find value in in that guy's, you know, uh, junk. I call, you know, the junk to treasure mindset where it's, for me, there's little somethings everywhere. And I wouldn't call myself a hoarder. However, I think I'm a preserver of important things. Artifacts. I'm I'm doing society a service by making sure that we've got something to look at, you know, years from now. Um, But trust me, it can get out of control pretty fast and, there was a time when people would drop off stuff on our porch because they knew I liked collecting it. And the worst time ever was when I was fascinated with old couches. Oh boy. Could you imagine? I had 13 couches at one point. Holy moly. Yeah. 13 couches and no room to put them. And then all of a sudden I realized that my storage bills were outweighing some of the projects I was doing. And now my costs were, you know, so great with things that I was never going to enjoy because the project just never would make it to, to the light of day. Um, but this for me was a chance to say, okay, bud, it's really time. Like, is this, is this improving your life? Is it, is it slowing you down? Is it causing you uh, frustration, angst, anxiety, or, or is it just necessary? And, you know, they say a decluttered environment is a decluttered mind and a cluttered at home is a, is a cluttered mind. And, you know, despite all that, because uh, I don't really think our home was ever cluttered, but there's a lot of stuff, a lot of, Cool stuff, but unnecessary. I went, uh, I went deep. Mm. I I dug really deep, and I cleaned out um, the basement and cleaned out the attic and things that you'd never see. And people say that that's actually a, a part of the clutter in your mind, whether you see it or not. You know that it's there, so it's just another layer of unnecessary. And so I took a real hard look at the at the way I was operating and you know, um, why I was trying to preserve all this stuff. And I had some conversations with myself and that came, uh, you know, from a realization that, you know, I don't need it. 
I, I like it. I like having it, but for what, you know? Um, so there was a big move. There was a, a clearing and that happened at the house that happened in the businesses that happened at the cottage. I was going to say, does that, tra- did that translate to any of your businesses knowing that you're focusing on decluttering and purging? How did that affect you on your on your way you operate your businesses as well? In an entirely different way, it was a reorg from top down. Um, not so much for Cabin because Cabin um, is is fairly new in the mix, but for the other businesses, we had gone years in doing and in processing and standard operating procedures that you know, got us by, we cut corners because it was us and we didn't have to worry about it. The clients were always served at a level that was exceptional. So they never got to pull back the curtain and see the kind of crazy that was in the background right? because we delivered differently than we operated per se, you know, but for the, for the business purge, it was, it was a declutter in a lot of respects, you know, from administration and, and the way we process documentation and, the the ideation of how we come up with creative like i got a chance to really you know sit back and recognize that my uh clarity is coming from not having so much stuff rolling around and that very much is the same notion as you don't have so much stuff around you so maybe the clutter that's gone is now opened up uh, a vision or a tunnel or something to say you can look at things differently right and so, yeah, I think that they that it was a trickle down all all across the board. It allowed me to reinvent the business. It allowed me to improve, um, you know, my personal relationships. I would say that right back to, you know, how I operate with my my kids and my and and Tammy and my family um, had a lot to do with constantly being on this mission to clean and and. Um, you know, not like clean, like it's dirty, but to, to tidy, mm-hmm. to, to clean up and clear out. And uh, a lot of people got some really cool things as a result of it because I gifted and uh, recycling was a major piece of that. And uh, where it had to go to landfill, it was a last resort. Um, but I think that uh, we're all better off as a result of it. That's for sure. I have to ask when you, when you arrive to the cottage and it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a transformation, let's just say, does there... I bet your feeling for the place changes as well. Like, you know, look, when I pull up to somebody's cottage, I'm just so enlightened. Thank God I'm up north. This is like, that is my place. I don't have a cottage. But, I mean, you've been going up to that for so many years. Like, is there is there a, f- a newfound love for it because of this decluttering and purging? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can't deny it. Um, my... Uh my journey to the cottage is, starts the minute I actually jump in the car from wherever I'm leaving from, whether it's a client's office, it's uh, it's one of the shops, or it's the home. The minute I'm in the car, um, some people are really challenged by the fact that they've got to drive through traffic to get there. I'm just so happy that I'm on my way that it doesn't matter to me. I could be stuck uh, on the highway, you know, because everybody's trying to get to the same spot and you're you're behind red lights the whole way. It doesn't matter to me. Like To me, there's already um, a sense of relief just knowing that I'm on my way there. But I'll tell you, we did some big projects this year at the cottage. Um, we had, uh, I mean, my cottage is really rustic. Uh, so rustic, but with all the amenities you need, like, you know, we have running water and, and heat and... Lobster. Lobster <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> um, it's... um. 
it's got all the the bells and whistles, but it's really meant to be a cottage where you're kicking off your shoes and you're totally relaxing. Um, so it always felt like it was our cottage because it was quirky and it was it had a lot of Louis in there for sure. And Tammy, you know, thankfully is okay with all of my crazy and you know so. Stuff that I see and I want to be able to to create, uh, she allows me to. And the cottage is a perfect example of that because it went for, we've been there for 13 years now, I think. And it went for until now with, you know, siding that was peeling and a roof that was leaking and, you know, all the stuff that says maintenance has to be a major focus. Um, and so this year we did it all. Like I, I uh, here's, the, here's the funny thing. In the year that I've earned the least amount of money, is the year that I've spent the most amount of money. COVID is the craziest time period. There, there are so many weird things. I'm sure when we look back at all of this, that just it's 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 unexplainable. It, well, how it, these there, trends start. There's no logic in how it's operating right now. For us, there's no logic because um, logic tells you that hey, you know your your businesses have been shut down, your contracts have been canceled. And this is not a time to take on big projects. However, I thought, and you know, Tammy agreed, that we should be investing in the comfort of our family so that we can really have that piece to to anchor us. That should be a T-shirt. Invest in the comfort of your family. <laughs> That's great. You should print those or a pillow. There you go. I don't like it. Um, no, but the 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 I guess the rationale was that we really figured out what meant the most to us. And, um, and I think that it became a priority that we made those things comfortable. And as a result, my God, my cottage has never looked better. It, it feels great. You know, we've had some of our social bubbles come up and, and experience it. And uh, of course their reaction, you know, and I'm, I really do this for us but it's great to be able to share that and when you when you recognize that you've had an influence on somebody's weekend and you just made it like one of the most memorable experiences of the summer um that i take a lot of pride in like i love it actually my daughter had uh, a bunch of her girlfriends up um in their social circle and as we're packing the car for them to leave one of her friends leans over to Macy and says, um, this has been the best cottage of the summer. And I kind of, I heard it and I thought to myself, did I just hear that? Yeah. And then Macy goes, do you hear that dad? And I thought, I thought, well, I'm going to take advantage. Like, <laughs> no, I didn't. What'd you say? And she comes back with this, this has been an incredible cottage weekend. And I said, my heart, like it just filled. And that makes me really happy. That to me means the investment has been so worthwhile because if we're able to create those memorable moments and I've had an influence on somebody's time um, and here, this came from a girl that's now been to four or five cottages over the course of the summer mm -hmm. with her family and they all have cottages and, and their friends that have socialized together. They had a cottage experience and uh, ours ranked number one, you know, and we don't have all the bells and whistles, you know, it's very modest. It's, it's meant to be a truly, um, retreat like mentality that place is meant to be special in a way and it doesn't have the luxuries of home you know yeah but through this time that you're up there you're still working remotely as well 
And how are you able to to fit that in with all the with all those demands up there? Well, yeah, I think that uh, again, the notion of uh, of retreating and getting away from work doesn't exist for me. It's a matter of just finding the best place to do it. And so you break the day up, and there's one rule that if the sun's shining, you got to take advantage of it because tomorrow it might be raining. And so everything that you were doing during the sunshine could easily be put off to the time for rain. So when it's sunny out, you got to be in the water, you got to be on the water, you got to be at the dock. So I, I make sure that even in my personal time there, I focus my attention on um, on puttering in the sun, you know, finding a way to make the boathouse better and reorganize and build a shell for you know, make a new umbrella stand. It's got to be done in the sun. And then when the evening comes, you can afford time when everybody else is either playing cards or, or, or engaged in, let's say, a movie, if that was the case, then I could retreat and do work. You right. know? And I would take care of the, of the businesses or if my task was to have something delivered for the next morning, then I would make sure my evenings were filled with that when everybody else would fall off and go to sleep. So it's just a matter of, of breaking down your day and, and making those those moments work for what's in front of you and what's what the opportunity is. So were you, prior to COVID, you are obviously spending time at the cottage, but were you ever working remotely? I mean, you had the infrastructure, internet and stuff, but were you ever working remotely there? Or, or obviously now it's forced everybody to work remotely. Yeah, who can. it's been an incredible uh, forced change. Mm-hmm. Um but, but any, it was right there. Like yeah, we all knew this. We all knew it. But you know, it was it was it was not accepted, and it was frowned upon, and it was like you were trying to get away from what was most important and and what you were responsible for. It wasn't uh, something that was welcome. However, now when I'm on Zoom calls with clients, um, and they see the leaves in the background because I typically take my calls outside. Um, there's an envy there and they're like, Oh my God, I'd love to be where you are right now. And I'd say, well, that's the beauty of what we've got going on because I could be anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to be as effective, likely more effective here than I am anywhere else because there's very little disruption and interference. There's a chance for me to focus and, and put the head down and get the job done. And it's, I think when you perform tasks um, from a, place of like you know i would even say euphoria in some respect but a place of happiness because you're content the output is better the deliverable is better you know you 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 maybe just you sound better or your your product looks better as a result or your your report just ends up being better and and that i think has got a lot to do with how happy you are so back to that idea of being in a cluttered environment you know so maybe you're preparing your documentation or your proposal or your your next plan for the business in an environment that's not really letting you truly be open and free to, you know, ideas and possibilities. Mm -hmm. Whereas in those environments and everybody's got a version of cottage for them, mine just happens to be a true cottage. Um, It could be, uh, you know, it could be somebody's basement. Or a balcony. Balcony. It could be, it could be the the park, the library, the whatever. Everybody's got a version of the place that makes them the happiest. That's the place where we should be performing on most of our effort and our work because I think the output's far greater. Well, it's really interesting too because, I mean, some companies, certain companies, um, they understood this quite quickly and other companies were so formatted in a sense. Like you look at the Googles, a place like Google, 
their working environment is nothing like you would see at a KPMG or something like that. I mean, they understood this and built an empire out of it. And yet all these uh, companies now have been forced to have their employees work um, remotely are starting to realize this is effective. It does work. The, the pro- productivity is up. Um, people are happy about not commuting. I mean, it. I don't know if they're going to be able to pivot and adapt um, what the new phase of what our work is going to be like. Yeah. I think that it's a forced realization. Um, you know, it, it, it's very cool when you see an environment like Google or, or it, it's top of mind because it showcased the environment and made it a benefit to the employee and it became an attraction. So I want to work for a company that has a pool table in the lunchroom. I want to work for a company that pays for my lunches. I want to work for a company that allows me that breathing time and I don't have to be chained to my desk. And a lot of the, um, the tactics and the philosophies that companies like Google uh, started to employ 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and they started becoming um, you started seeing slivers of those in corporate environments. And all of a sudden, when they were redesigning their offices, they had a wellness room. I mean, I think that people started to realize that we need to make these changes because it's not only beneficial to the employee, but there's an expectation that if you are um, a place that cares for your people, then you're going to make an environment that creates happiness. And it gets back to the idea that I'm going to produce my best work when I'm happy. And so the, the reality that's hit us now is that everybody was forced to create uh, a different environment. And you're right. Companies are realizing that the performance in a lot of cases has gone up. Um, the productivity has gone up. Um, the connection to the employee and to the workload uh, in a lot of cases for a lot of people have gone up, like they're working more now than they ever have. And that might not be a good sustainable idea that might actually cause burnout. And we'll see. Um, there's a lot of we'll sees to come down our near future, but uh, it feels like it was like a force ex- experiment, I think even though is. some companies already knew this yes. is, this is, this works. And some of them relate to the party uh, adapting to it. And now they were forced to do it. And I'm curious what those changes are going to be like once we, I don't know if this thing, this, this um, COVID clears or wherever we're going to be, does it go away? Are we going to live with it? But I mean, we're going to be moving forward in time. And how are these businesses going to change? Well, and I think a lot of, you know, if this is, if we view it as an experiment, which it really really is it's we're experimenting and how to be productive and how to pivot and how to change Mm -hmm. um and in saying that uh i think there's going to be a trickle down that happens where when we do return to whatever that normal is because there's no chance it's going to be exactly like it was before um and in a lot of cases companies are going to realize that there's some benefit to what's just happened here Mm -hmm. and you know maybe it isn't a five-day work week in the office maybe it's a three-day work week or it's a shift and and that could increase productivity and you know i know that they've made a lot of uh, moves 
uh, probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, where open concept offices became the rage, you know, and cubicles were gone and you can't have people in little tiny rooms anymore because that doesn't encourage communication or collaboration. And in fact, uh, I saw a study last year that talked about how counterproductive open offices really are. So, you know, that major shift. What's beautiful is, though, there's a lot of construction and decor companies and designers that are making a bank ton of money because, you know, the mindset is shifting so often that one day it's X, next day it's Y. I do know this, though, that companies that are really um, paying attention to what's happening right now and how their people are responding and how they're taking care of their people and where their productivity is, they're going to pick up the best practices that have been exposed during COVID and how they're operating, and they're going to keep them, and they're going to put them into the plan, and it's going to become part of their standard operating procedure because it works. So, good. Yeah? But How many of these uh, established industries that are out there that have been around for for years and years and years are going to be willing to adapt and recognize that because they've been doing that same thing. This, this is the tradition. This is how we do it. This is how we, you know, we get paid, whatever the thing is. How are, do you think they're going to have the, uh, the knowledge to be aware and, and, and make that pivot? Well, it's funny pivot, man, the word pivot. This is what I love about the world that we're living in. We're in, in a very exciting time in our lives. We are so fortunate to be living right now. Because in the middle of history, in the right in the center of it's it's here happening. This is us. And imagine this 30 years ago. Imagine us not being able to communicate at the rapid level that we do right now. I mean, trust me, I think there's a lot of communication that needs to be squashed. (laughs) Please, like, please. Silence. (laughs) Yeah. Misinformation is going to be our biggest disease. Um, And that's a whole other story for another time. But here's what I'm talking about. Um. Just the word pivot um, that's moved within within two months, it became the buzzword and it became the necessary way to operate. And if businesses weren't considering how they were going to pivot, then they were uh, asleep at the wheel and they weren't taking advantage of what's in front of them and they weren't becoming futurists. And the point about me saying that we're living in a very exciting time, it's the best time to be alive right now, is because we can rapidly share information, philosophy, ideologies. We can rapidly share that around the world within a day. A trend can be started. Uh, a concept can be uh, adopted. Uh, a theory and a conspiracy can be, you know, l- like wildfire. Um, so that to me is really exciting because with all the bad comes a lot of good. And this is where I think those companies that are, you know, uh, very uh, tried, true, uh, very directed in how they've been operating because it's been successful for 100 years, there could be a way for them to survive this by staying true to the core of who they are and not moving and shifting and changing because I believe that there's going to be an audience for every type of environment. So there could be people that are very rigid and need and want and expect that regimentation that says, I I need to be in an office with people. I couldn't, I can't live, Mm -hmm. I can't perform and I can't function without collaboration. And that's going to be the the type of environment I'm gravitating to. So I think that the companies don't necessarily have to pivot unless there is a major hole or a void or a function that needs to be filled. And, And then even the word pivot is, 
insisting that you're going to change direction. And in fact, it might not be a change of direction. It simply could be an improvement based on some of the things that you've seen or, or, or it's what reflected in the current condition of what we're going through. So, you know, I looked at, um, well, early on, uh, just after I got out of that fuzzy phase, that, that dizziness there, and trying to figure out what the future looked like, right. I really had to put on the future goggles and try to see what happens if this does last for six months, eight months, ten months. And here I am, uh, you know, I'm a partner in a business that was um, – uh, an environment where we'd have people walking and it was a, it's a, it's basically a birthing center. It, it surrounds itself with um, pregnancy, birthing, it's nurturing families that are having babies. It's midwives and doulas and, and, and consultation and mothers coming in with babies to, you know, to be in an environment. Of course that was shut down. So that business was put on the shelf uh, like, like the business of the barbershops um, and cabin where it was shelved and there's no chance to be able to to see where that was going to go. And then, of course, the event business that I manage, um, that I operate, it was national conferences. All of those got canceled. And yeah. so all, all of my worlds really just basically shut down. So I had to start to look and see when I got out of that, that haze, where are we going to be? Like, what's this really going to do? How long can we last? And um, I think as entrepreneurs we are more problem solvers than anything. Right. You know, we're engineers. Um, and for me, I love building businesses. I always have. I love building concepts. I love seeing ideas come to life. And so for me, it was a chance to see, so what's the next step here? And I had to look for that next step. And all of a sudden, it was given this glorified word that everybody surrounded and said, this is what we're going to call it. We're going to call it pivot. Right, And so, you know, all of a sudden I felt myself uh, making plans for a business that I didn't understand because I hadn't experienced it. How are we going to take a barbershop? How are we going to take a birthing center or a place where mothers are coming to get advice for, you know, um, how to care for their baby? Um, and how are we going to take a conference environment and change that to something that's so dramatically different than what we experienced the day we closed that, you know, I can't even see. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, and so I had to become a futurist and I had to recognize that, um, there has to be a concentration on, first of all, staff and how we treat them and how we check in and, and, and recognize that, Hey, we don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, but immediately my concern was, how are they feeling? Like I might be able to weather this storm because, well, I've been, practical in how I've lived my life and I've, I might have a safety net. Uh, you know, uh, not everybody has, you know, what I might have had. So my number one concern was how are my teams that help build this business going to be taken care of? How do I take care of them? And it was very concerning. So not having any answers, I thought the number one thing to do was just communicate, be in mm -hmm. communication. And so it was important for me to... Um, to talk. And I called every one of my staff um, a, a number of times over the course of, of those early days of COVID just to say, hey, are you doing okay? Is there anything that I can, you know, help you with? And, you know, this is where I see us going. And I kept updating them. Of course, I've got an incredible team operationally in every one of the businesses that, you know, would also from a managerial standpoint, reach out and, you know, and 
in the case of, of the barbershops, um, Nico would be connecting with all of our teams to be able just to check in, open the lines of communication, make them recognize that they really are an integral part of this and that we're all weathering the storm together. And if there was a need to do something, then we're all willing to pitch in for it. Um, I think that that was a really important piece of that pivot for us. And I think that companies that, you know, kind of went silent, I don't, I don't hold it against them because let's face it, we didn't have a playbook no. and there's no criticism of what you did right or wrong. You, whatever you did was okay for what you did. Um, I'm happy that the way we did it made me feel like we were taking care of the most important asset that we had, which is our people. Mm -hmm. And I think the companies that looked at that first and foremost are the ones that are going to be reminded or their, their teams are going to be reminded of the fact that they were cared for. Um, you know, it's funny because the, the fastest pivot that I saw was major brands coming out with messaging around being in this together and in these uncertain times. And, but that became, it became a meme. It there be, was yes. friends of mine that, that their video editors, film editors and stuff were, were grabbing all the TV spots and, uh, you know, jokingly breaking them down going, here's, here's the soft piano music right. and here are the keywords. Right. It was almost like one person was writing every ad for everything, just at a different logo at the end. Well, you know, in the first ones you heard, it was kind of they were like, sincere. It seemed yeah, like it. You felt like there was a moment of sincerity um, because I think that they did move quickly to come out with a message that everybody wanted to hear, and then it did sound like everybody wrote the same ad. And from an environment that's supposed to be so creative, like agencies, <laughs> and it was it became very sad very fast to me. And then it became um, I was. Uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I was frustrated or mad, but I was certainly disappointed that the major car companies out there said to me that we're in this together and we're here for you. And in fact, what you're really saying to me is you're here for me if I buy your car at a time when really you shouldn't be asking me to buy anything. As a matter of fact, for us and for me personally, it was a chance for me to come out to the community because beyond our staff and our employees, our number one asset the number two communication that we had to make, and I think companies that made these pivot moments were the ones that are going to really stand out. It's when you went out to your community and recognized how valuable they are to you because without them, there's no reason for the existence. Mm -hmm. And so our line of communication immediately wasn't like, we're here for you, come and buy a pomade, or we're here for you, um, let us know when your birth is. Or, you know, we're here for you when you're ready to do your national conference again. In those three worlds, we stopped and said specifically for the barbershops, hey, listen, we're going to record and produce a video every week. I got a chance to come online and I said, hey, Internet world, you know, and hey, guys, it's Louie from Cabin. Um, and we called it Lockdown with Louie just because it needed a name. And that sure. was what it was going to be because we were locked down. And the communication and messaging that came out there was, we want to honor and respect our frontline workers. We wanted to start a blue light campaign. I was so thrilled when we encouraged our local shop owners and the communities that we're in to shine blue lights in the windows for all those. And, you know, that was just a message to the community to say, hey, listen, guys, we truly are all in this together. I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm not asking you to buy anything. I don't want, I just want you to know that we're here. And, and we need to recognize too. 
and we need to honor and thank and be and be grateful that we're here. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're here, man. Like this is that's the upside of all this, and we're going to get through it. And I think that those messages of encouragement around community, I was so elated because I'll tell you, I went home one night, and it was like four or five days after we started the blue light campaign, and we did blue lights in our windows, um, and then I started seeing blue lights everywhere, and yeah. I was like, oh my god, this Working. is amazing. <laughs> People are listening and they're they're thinking this is a good idea. And then, of course, I realized that you know on that day, <laughs> that um, Disney decided they were going to shine a blue light on the on the castle, and I didn't know that. And I thought people were responding to my blue light campaign, and in fact, it was Disney because <laughs> they're a little bigger than we are, and their message and their reach goes a little further. But anyway, I was thrilled by the idea that hey, we happened to pick the right color, yeah. thankfully, and that we were crazy uh, creating a community movement. And so, you know, beyond that, what else did we do? We, um, when we were allowed, we did ongoing messages for the community. We encouraged people to give and donate to the people that were most in need. Um, those that are marginalized in our communities that need help beyond us, because let's face it, there was no money at some point. And, and, you know, the relief that we're getting from the government, although I think that was very generous and, and necessary, it fell short for a lot of people. And Hey, listen, you know, everybody's in different places. So, the number one thing I think that we needed to do there was to recognize how valuable our communities really were and are and continue to be. So our number one line of attack was to come out and say, listen, we are here and we're going to get through this. And right now, as we start to unroll uh, and, and change in the phases and the implementations of what's allowed, we're going to respond to what you're asking us. So people were sending us emails all the time. Well, can you sell me this? You know, I'm running out of this or you know, and things that we didn't think were essential um, were essential for some people. Yeah. And so we made some moves to change the way the business operated. Um, you know, the minute that we could actually um, have connections with people, you know, physically distanced connections with people, we did a sidewalk sale. So nobody would be inside the shop. We took all of our product outside, told all of our community that come on by and please, if you can, only if you can, can you help us fill a trailer for the food bank? Right. And as I recall this, the, the response was amazing. We put tents outside. We put uh, tape on the ground to tell everybody which direction to go. And this was really before any decals and stuff started happening in stores. Uh, masks weren't part of the mix at the time, but we got people product that wanted product. Um, it helped us because there was some revenue there. Um, we offered them a discount to say thank you for, for helping us. Um, and we filled a trailer with food and that went right to the food bank. And man, I'll tell you this, I don't recall any automobile company, no car, car company taking their advertising spend that they put into that agency and saying, we're going to rally around the people most in need right. in our communities. And we're going to make our dealerships food bank drop off points of location that they can come and give and we can volunteer. I didn't hear any of them doing that. Right. So I think it's a major miss. Like you didn't recognize the value of the people that keep you afloat, you know, and, yeah. and at that point, and, and this is not coming from a, a spirit of, and hopefully they'll come back and shop with me. It was the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. And as a matter of fact, I recall one of the messages saying, you know, we're going to be fine, you know, like, and don't, don't think that you have to buy anything because you could use your money for something else. I'm encouraging them to go spend their money on things that are most important to them right now and not for things that we don't need to have, you know, 
cologne and hairspray. As a matter of fact, I think one of our customers' wives was so excited when he first put cologne on again. It was like, it was like, oh my God, he smells good again, you know? And that was <laughs> after three months of not wearing, because he didn't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't important. It wasn't essential. Anyway, the point there is, is that I think, you know, uh, again, entrepreneurs being problem solvers and engineers in a lot of respect, you end up looking for those holes and those gaps and you try to fill it with what you think is going to make a difference. And if your focus is on, the $100 here or the $50 there, I think you're going to lose. I think the focus has to be on the people. First, the people that make it happen and the people that need it to happen. And I look at uh, the restaurant and hospitality industry, man. Oh. I mean, uh, we're a trickle down. Like, we, we can't really perform unless you're, like, especially in any of the businesses that I have, you, with the exception of conferences, um, because we made that massive pivot right mm. off the bat. Like I, I, I made a major change to the way we operated that business. And as a result, now we're enjoying the fruits of my early labor. Right. We, we, we shifted right away to go to virtual and right. then, and perfect virtual to the point where nobody's doing what we're doing because I was dreaming, you know, right. when I was putting those AirPods in and painting cabinets, there was other things happening there that says, what if we could do this? Got the creative mind going. Even, yes. you, you even see the adaptability, even walking into a grocery store, all these interesting things that they've put in places like obviously not using uh, other countries as an example. These things were just thought up going, okay, this, how about we How about do this? Yeah. Uh, plexiglass all the way around the cat. Like all these little things. I have to tell you, what I love the most is when I go grocery shopping and we're in the queue to <laughs> check out. And then you get to the, the conveyor belt and there's nobody else behind you riding right up your ass yeah. while you're it's like it's so lovely because you're just keeping everybody away yes not not because i'm worried about getting sick you're but right. it's just so nice to not have a little breathing room exactly yeah. and i'm like this is just me and the cashier <laughs> i love that i was telling my wife that the other day i'm like you know what i love the most is that little nice piece of privacy yes. in the sense that it's just this is my experience with you now yes uh, thank you see you later bye not feeling pressure of getting your wallet out because those people are rolling your eyes because you can't figure your, out your number, your number or whatever it's it's you the cashier so, and bananas so. it's magic but they've all like so many companies have adapted to continue to work but you know this is w where we are this is what we've implemented and coming up with those ideas i have to applaud a lot of companies for doing that well and i do too and i look back at again to that retail and hospitality industry you really can't function without people visiting your location just like you can't function without people visiting a barbershop i mean we need the head to cut yeah and that's a service that we provide but without being able to have them in person how are we really going to shift you know how are we going to pivot whereas i saw immediately restaurants go to takeout, you know, and, and restricted, you know, like, so am I going to be able to safely serve this? And, and they put protocols in and, you know, I remember commenting at somebody said in the early days, are you comfortable ordering from a restaurant? And I said, quite honestly, no, because I don't know. And then one of my restaurant friends, uh, owner of a number of restaurants said, you know, Louie, just to remind you that we were already mandated for hygiene and safety to begin with. We're probably the most hygienic environments to, to, to operate in. So add that to how we operate. And now we're adding more protocols. And all of a sudden I started realizing, my God, these guys are really, they're moving. Yeah. They're changing. And they're, and then they were, they were hit again with, you know, um, well, you can do extended patios 
but it has to be uh, 50% capacity. So here you are as a business person looking at, I'm going to have operationally the same cost that I had before, but I can only sell 50% potentially of, of what mm -hmm. I did before for revenue, you know, and they just kept on rolling. And then they, they decided to allow alcohol to be included in that. And then they, their patios expanded. And now as, you know, I mean, I look at that business because there's, you know, um, restaurants, um, entertainment, uh, venues, hotels, all of, all of them and us included, you know, from a, from a, I mean, I'm part of an entertainment piece. When you talk about conferences, we got the shit kicked out of us. Yep. And and we continue to take our lumps right now with any luck and with any hope, you know, when we are able to get back to doing what we love to do, then, um, you know, we've got audiences there that are going to be supporting us as much as, you know, we've been supporting community along the way. So, you know, I look at I look at people that have made great pivots along the way. Pivots and creativity. Like you have to, some of those restaurants, pizza places that are saying, hey, if you don't want to come and pick up a finished pie, here's the dough, here's the sauce, here's your toppings. Yeah. And this is how you're going to prepare it at home. That's cool. such a genius idea for some folks that are feeling adventurous rather than just going up and picking up your pizza. Yes. I understand timing is everything, but you have to applaud the creativity by these entrepreneurs. I, I mean, I think that, and there's been a saying too where, you know, True innovation only happens when there's a massive disruption. So when you've been shocked to the point where everything you know um, and how you operated is now been, you know, completely wiped out from underneath you, then either you fight or flight. It's going to be one or the other. And I think that, that when you've got that as an owner, operator, or manager, you've got that spirit in you that says, what am I going to do now? Mm. You know, so you created a commerce site to your, to your, uh, to your bookings right. and your website. And all of a sudden, you're moving product curbside because people are, are very interested in having product. And you want to make sure you've created a channel for them. Because if you don't, somebody else will. And, you know, when restaurants started to see that change and they adopted and they they, they scaled back their menus. As a matter of fact, most restaurant on, uh, operators that I know have decided that they're going to continue putting out a great quality product, but they're going to scale it back yeah. because the choice and, and offerings weren't really what brought them there to begin with. It was quality product. It was quality service. And in a lot of cases, specifically in the world that I'm in, it's got community written all over it that right. we really truly help local um, where we can. So, you know, and I also saw, you know, the event business, you know, when you talk about production, right. um, the entertainment, like I mentioned, when you're talking about people rolling in trade shows and the union labor that stands behind it to make sure the carpet's on the floor before the door is open and the booths are being built, you think about all those people. Oh, yeah. There is an amazing amount of people that are not going to see the regular work that they did for at least the next 10 months Easily. No, nowhere close to it. And I saw uh, event companies um, that were responsible for decor. You know, they would move in all of our chairs and our banquet tables and those large format uh, art installations um, from their warehouses. They went right off the bat and recognized that people are going to require protective gear. So we're going to invest heavily in protective gear. And right. they did. 
And all of a sudden they became channel distribution units for protective gear to all of the clients that they served. Right. You need protective gear. We've got, we got it. it. You need protect. And they weren't gouging. They were making it reasonable, but they were making an opportunity for them to say, we used to sell uh, chairs. Yeah. <laughs> we used to rent chairs. Now we're going to sell those little stands that go in front of your office so that every one of your employees, when they do come back to work, is coming back to a safe place. We've got them. Yeah. Don't go looking for them. We've got them. So I applaud people that look at it like that. I applaud anybody that in this disruption has decided that they're not going to sit back idly and let it all flow. They're going to take control and they're going to be creative and they're going to invent and most importantly, innovate the operation that they had so that they can continue enjoying what they first started building. Here's a case study. And it's uh, close to me because I have a dear friend that's in this industry and it's in the travel industry and he's an airline limousine driver. Mm. With the borders being closed, th- th- here, here's where creativity and and pivoting really, they need it badly. Those borders being closed, the travel, international travel, and also business travel to the United States from Canada is basically shut down. These drivers uh, who own their own uh, automobiles uh, that work for uh, the limousine service, they, they are hurting and they don't see any chance of this thing, um, of them being able to, to be working in this field for the next couple of months, Easy. let alone who's going to be able to afford to hang on for 10 months without having anybody traveling. I mean, flights are coming in, um, but not, not even close to the, go, go, go have a drive down the airport and go look around. You'll see it's, it's, it's a ghost town. I, and I wonder, like, where is the smart thinking for th- for this group or for, for the travel industry in itself? You know, how are they going to um, change the way we continue to move forward during the pandemic and then post-pandemic? Yeah, I've got some friends that are in the travel industry as well and, and ones that are actually very connected to the cruise lines. And, of course, the cruise lines got beat up really bad. Um they, of course, I think are being very inventive in how they're changing their messaging and insisting that there's going to be no safer place on the planet than a cruise line uh, once they do get back up and fully operational. So I think the most important piece for those people, uh, it might not be survival from a financial standpoint, like they might they might really be in a, a dire straits, um, but if they can continue to communicate and open the lines of communication, and maybe not so much for your friend um, that has an independent business that's you know really related to his effort and his vehicle, um, it's going to be a, a total rethink for him. Uh, and it might mean that his vehicle turns into a delivery service. That's right. You know, and that, that might be the natural. And then I think you've got to go to Crazyville to come back to the middle. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you really are truly creative and you're innovating, if you don't allow yourself to get way out there, like what happens if we could deliver pizzas to the moon? How would we go about delivering pizzas to the moon? Well, we would have to have this. And if we had that, we'd need this. All of a sudden, there might be a trickle down that there's a little tiny bit of real knowledge in here and and unique thinking that could be operationally employed. So, you got to go out to Crazyville to come back to what maybe would be normal um, or at least acceptable from a, from a, I might be able to make this happen. And to me, 
a natural one is if you were using your vehicle to transport people, what could you be transporting now? as well? Yeah. You know, is this now when you partner with a food service company that's just exploding because people now want wholesome, fresh, they want to make yeah. it at home. They don't want to do restaurant. And if that's the case, you know, then, then maybe it's, there's something else wrapped into the experience of it, you know? And now that we've expanded social bubbles and whatnot, maybe that guy could be responsible for the wine tours that are about to happen again. Right. You know, like yeah. those, those experiences that we just can't live without yeah. because they actually shape the people that we are. And, you know, I think that's where people have to become um, really shaken to recognize why they need to make change, you know, and why they need to employ the idea that I've got to be creative in the way I think. I think if you're, if you're just not creative, then you need to find somebody near you that is, that can give you those recommendations because sometimes the best recommendation comes from the person you least are likely to expect it to come from. Or go rent yourself a cottage, spend a week out there right. and come up with crazy ideas. Come up with crazy ideas. I think that's the idea. Get back to refueling and re-energizing. That's important. Awesome. So there you go, folks. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Right. It's okay. I guess uh, we'll, see you. we'll see you in the next one. We'll see you in the next podcast. All right.